0: Hi, this is your host Corbin, and this is your guide for Lynn Weissman's Live Free or Die Hard. Before we get into the making of the film, allow me to take you back to 2007 to remember the top movies released that year. They were Ratatouille, No Country for Old Men, Zodiac, There Will Be Blood, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Spider-Man 3, I Am Legend, Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End, Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street, Paranormal Activity, and transformers and many more hits it was a very memorable year for movies for me from that year we have reviewed rob zombies halloween and the born ultimatum links to those reviews are in the show notes below if you'd like to reminisce more about the films of 07 then head over to letterbox.com it had been just over 12 years since audiences had last saw john mclean on the big screen What some consider to be the best sequel in the franchise surprisingly didn't lead to another sequel being greenlit. Bruce Willis had to become a big star by the third film's release. Just five years later, he would star alongside Samuel L. Jackson for the third time in M. Night Shyamalan's Unbreakable. But the biggest factor Die Hard 4 took so long were two major problems. The studio didn't have a satisfying script for a fourth installment, and 9-11 would happen a few years later, putting any plans on hold. According to a Den of Geek article, those plans started with David Marconi writing a script titled WW3.com, which I think is a neat title. It was based on a Wired magazine article called A Farewell to Arms, written by John Carlin. Marconi receives story by credits, and Carlin receives based upon credit, because the central idea of that script, and even that article, remains in what we have as Die Hard 4. But due to the 9-11 terrorist attacks... Fox Studios pushed it back to 2002, with Luke Besson, of Taken fame, producing. Two other ideas were floated. Both were called Die Hardest. One revolved around McLean's son working for the Nakatomi Corporation in Tokyo, and the other had McLean and his daughter fighting shipwrecked looters in the Caribbean. As you can see, they were trying to capitalize off of some of Disney's Pirates of the Caribbean success there with that one. Ultimately, the film was shelved until Doug Richardson picked it up to retool it for a John McClane movie, and then Mark Bomback finished the final script. Die Hard 4 went through many different titles. The original title, Die Hard Tears of the Sun, never materialized, but Willis liked it enough to use it for his 2003 action film. Two years later, Willis announced the title would be Die Hard 4.0, to hint at the story cybernetic themes. A year later, IGN reported the title had been changed to Die Hard Reset, until ultimately Fox officially announced the title as Live Free or Die Hard with a June 29, 2007 release date. This new title was patterned off New Hampshire's state motto, Live Free or Die. Though it should be noted, Willis and Weissman prefer Die Hard 4.0, according to the DVD commentary. As for choosing Lynn Weissman to take over the directorial role, well, it made sense because he had directed the 2003 hit film Underworld and the sequel Underworld Evolution, which came out in 2006, the year before this movie came out. Both of those movies were hits. They were very enjoyable. I really like them myself. So they said, why don't you go ahead and take over the franchise, which, you know, I can see it. I can see him because he kind of reinvigorated the action genre, at least a subgenre, kind of a unique way, so that's cool to see him step into the director's role. During shooting of the film, Willis was injured by Maggie Q's stunt double, which required him getting stitches above his right eye. Controversy swirled upon the film's release due to it receiving a PG-13, the first in the franchise. By its raw cut, the movie could have garnered an R rating, but this was the era of the mass PG-13 movie, or studios would shun the R rating in the hopes of getting younger audiences into theater, therefore making them more money. Willis and the director were disappointed with the PG-13, especially considered Weissman's previous films were rated R, but Willis is still quoted as saying this one was better than the original after coming out of the theater. When the movie was released on home video, it came out with an unrated version, reinstating a slew of F-bombs and trimmed violins. The runtimes are roughly the same. Another interesting fact about the home video release, it was the first film to feature a digital copy. So the film was given a $110 million budget, the biggest in the franchise, not adjusting for inflation. As for opening weekend, it grossed $33.3 million, a series high, once again not adjusting for inflation. But... This was the first film in the franchise to open at number two at the box office, whereas the previous two films opened at number one and the first film came in at number three. So what beat it out for the number one spot opening weekend? Well, for some reason, Fox decided to go up against Pixar. Yes, they went up against Ratatouille. So, of course, Ratatouille swamped this by about $15 million. Evan Almighty was dethroned. From number one to number three, coming in at that slot, fourteen oh eight. The Stephen King film went from two to four, and Fantastic Four: Rise of the Silver Surfer was knocked to number five. Die Hard would never reach the number one spot. In its second week, it was at number three, and then it just went down from there. Interestingly enough, Ratatouille was dethroned its second week as well by none other than Transformers, which opened with a beefy seventy point five million dollars. By its second week. Live Free or Die Hard grossed $17.7 million. Not bad, but it still had lost 46.9% of its gross from the previous week. It also opened in the most number of theaters to date in the series, 3,408. That's a decent margin. That's over 1,000 more theaters than the previous films. Um, As for domestic box office, $134.5 million, a series high. In the foreign markets, $253.6 million. Not as much as the third installment, surprisingly, for a worldwide total of $388 million, barely getting above 1995's Die Hard with a Vengeance. And this is, once again, still not adjusting for inflation. So this grossed over a quarter of a billion dollars. It still did great, especially for a $110 million budget, you know, it recouped its budget by three times. Now, of course, that's not including advertising costs. But nevertheless, this was still a hit at the theaters and audiences straight out of the theaters gave it an A minus. They put it right on par with Die Hard 3, not as good as one or two. But nevertheless, depending on who you ask, this is semi controversial when it comes to where this place is amongst the pantheon of Die Hard films. Letterboxd rating has it as a 2.9, a very poor rating. IMDb rating ties it with Die Hard 2, 7.1, uh, which is third lowest. And Metascore has it at a high 69, the second highest Metascore in the franchise. Listeners, this one may knock your socks off. An 82% certified fresh. This according to Rotten Tomatoes critics on the whole is considered the second best installment in the franchise. And yes, this is a certified fresh film. Audiences giving it an 86% second highest in the series. So across the board, this is roughly considered the second best film of the entire series. I'm curious to see, I'm trying not to get my hopes up too much but I'm curious to see what my thoughts are and what my ranking is for this. Thank you listeners for coming along with me as I have been your guide to the production and impact of this film. Now that you have your guide to live free or die hard, make sure to subscribe to the podcast for my full review coming next Monday. And tune in the week after as we explore Uncharted Territories.